This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Part 2 Towards five o'clock on the afternoon of that same day, having a little time to myself in the midst of the household duties which now pressed upon me, I sat down alone in my own room to try and compose my mind with the volume of my husband's sermons. For the first time in my life, I found my attention wandering over those pious and cheering words. Concluding that Lady Glyde's departure must have disturbed me far more seriously than I had myself supposed I put the book aside and went out to take a turn in the garden. Sir Percival had not yet returned to my knowledge, so I could feel no hesitation about showing myself in the grounds. On turning the corner of the house and gaining a view of the garden, I was startled by seeing a stranger walking in it. The stranger was a woman. She was lounging along the path with her back to me and was gathering the flowers. As I approached, she heard me and turned round. My blood curdled in my veins. The strange woman in the garden was Mrs. Rubel. I could neither move nor speak. She came up to me as composedly as ever with her flowers in her hand. "'What is the matter, ma'am?' she said quietly. "'You, here,' I gasped out, "'not gone to London,' "'Not gone to Cumberland?' "'Mrs. Rubel smelt at her flowers "'with a smile of malicious pity. "'Certainly not,' she said. "'I have never left Blackwater Park.' "'I summoned breath enough and courage enough "'for another question. "'Where is Miss Halcombe?' "'Mrs. Rubel fairly laughed at me this time "'and replied in these words.' "'Miss Halcombe, ma'am, has not left Blackwater Park either.' "'When I heard that astounding answer, "'all my thoughts were startled back on the instant "'to my parting with Lady Glyde. "'I can hardly say I reproached myself, "'but at that moment I think I would have given "'many a year's hard savings "'to have known four hours earlier what I knew now.' "'Mrs. Rubel waited, quietly arranging her nosegay, "'as if she expected me to say something. "'I could say nothing. "'I thought of Lady Glyde's worn-out energies "'and weakly health, "'and I trembled for the time "'when the shock of the discovery "'that I had made would fall on her. "'For a minute or more, "'my fears for the poor ladies silenced me. "'At the end of that time, "'Mrs. Rubel looked up sideways from her flowers "'and said, "'Here is Sir Percival, ma'am, returned from his ride.' "'I saw him as soon as she did. "'He came towards us, slashing viciously at the flowers with his riding whip. "'When he was near enough to see my face, he stopped, "'struck at his boot with the whip, and burst out laughing, "'so harshly and so violently that the birds flew away, "'startled from the tree by which he stood. "'Well, Mrs. Michelson,' he said, "'You have found it out at last, have you?' "'I made no reply. "'He turned to Mrs. Rubel. "'When did you show yourself in the garden?' 
"'I showed myself about half an hour ago, sir. "'You said I might take my liberty again "'as soon as Lady Glyde had gone away to London.' "'Quite right. I don't blame you. "'I only ask the question.' "'He waited a moment, and then addressed himself once more to me. "'You can't believe it, can you?' he said mockingly. "'Here, come along and see for yourself.' He led the way round to the front of the house. I followed him, and Mrs. Rubell followed me. After passing through the iron gates, he stopped and pointed with his whip to the disused middle wing of the building. There, he said, look up at the first floor. You know the old Elizabethan bedrooms. Miss Halcombe is snug and safe in one of the best of them at this moment. Take her in, Mrs. Rubell. You have got your key. "'Take Mrs. Michelson in and let her own eyes satisfy her "'that there is no deception this time.' "'The tone in which she spoke to me, "'and the minute or two that had passed since we left the garden "'helped me to recover my spirits a little. "'What I might have done at this critical moment "'if all my life had been passed in service, I cannot say.' As it was, possessing the feelings, the principles, and the bringing up of a lady, I could not hesitate about the right course to pursue. My duty to myself and my duty to Lady Glyde alike forbade me to remain in the employment of a man who had shamefully deceived us both by a series of atrocious falsehoods. "'I must beg permission, Sir Percival, to speak a few words to you in private,' I said." "'Having done so, I shall be ready to proceed with this person "'to Miss Halcombe's room.' "'Mrs. Rubell, whom I had indicated by a slight turn of my head, "'insolently sniffed at her nosegay "'and walked away, with great deliberation, towards the house door. "'Well,' said Sir Percival sharply, "'what is it now?' "'I wish to mention, sir, that I am desirous of resigning "'the situation I now hold at Blackwater Park.' That was literally how I put it. I was resolved that the first words spoken in his presence should be words which express my intention to leave his service. He eyed me with one of his blackest looks and thrust his hand savagely into the pockets of his riding coat. Why, he said, why I should like to know. I desire to give no offense, I merely wish to say that I do not feel it consistent with my duty to Lady Glyde and to myself to remain any longer in your service. Is it consistent with your duty to me to stand there, casting suspicion on me to my face? He broke out in his most violent manner. I see what you're driving at. You have taken your own mean, underhand view of an innocent deception practiced on Lady Glyde for her own good— it was essential to her health that she should have a change of air immediately, and you know, as well as I do, she would never have gone away if she had been told Miss Halcombe was still left here. She has been deceived in her own interests, and I don't care who knows it. Go, if you like. There are plenty of housekeepers as good as you to be had for the asking. Go when you please, but take care how you spread scandals about me and my affairs when you're out of my service.' "'Tell the truth, and nothing but the truth, "'or it will be the worse for you. "'See Miss Halcombe for yourself. "'See if she hasn't been as well taken care of "'in one part of the house as in the other. 
"'Remember the doctor's own orders, "'that Lady Glyde was to have a change of air "'at the earliest possible opportunity. "'Bear all that well in mind, "'and then say anything against me "'and my proceedings, if you dare.' "'He poured out these words fiercely, "'all in a breath, "'walking backwards and forwards, "'and striking about him in the air with his whip. "'Nothing,' "'that he said or did shook my opinion "'of the disgraceful series of falsehoods "'that he had told in my presence the day before, "'or of the cruel deception "'by which he had separated Lady Glyde from her sister "'and had sent her uselessly to London "'when she was half distracted with anxiety "'on Miss Halcombe's account. "'I naturally kept these thoughts to myself "'and said nothing more to irritate him.' "'but I was not the less resolved to persist in my purpose. "'A soft answer turneth away wrath, "'and I suppressed my own feelings accordingly "'when it was my turn to reply. "'While I am in your service, Sir Percival,' I said, "'I hope I know my duty well enough "'not to inquire into your motives. "'When I am out of your service, "'I hope I know my own place well enough "'not to speak of matters which don't concern me. "'When do you want to go?' he asked, interrupting me without ceremony. "'Don't suppose I am anxious to keep you. "'Don't suppose I care about your leaving the house. "'I am perfectly fair and open in this matter from first to last. "'When do you want to go?' "'I should wish to leave at your earliest convenience, Sir Percival.' "'My convenience has nothing to do with it. "'I shall be out of the house for good and all tomorrow morning, "'and I can settle your accounts tonight.' "'If you want to study anybody's convenience, "'it had better be Miss Halcombe's. "'Mrs. Rubell's time is up today, "'and she has reasons for wishing to be in London tonight. "'If you go at once, Miss Halcombe won't have a soul left here to look after her.' "'I hope it is unnecessary for me to say "'that I was quite incapable of deserting Miss Halcombe "'in such an emergency as had now befallen Lady Glyde and herself.' After first distinctly ascertaining from Sir Percival that Mrs. Rubell was certain to leave at once if I took her place, and after also obtaining permission to arrange for Mr. Dawson's resuming his attendance on his patient, I willingly consented to remain at Blackwater Park until Miss Halcombe no longer required my services. It was settled that I should give Sir Percival's solicitor a week's notice before I left and that he was to undertake the necessary arrangements for appointing my successor. The matter was discussed in very few words. At its conclusion, Sir Percival abruptly turned on his heel and left me free to join Mrs. Rubell. That singular foreign person had been sitting composedly on the doorstep all this time, waiting till I could follow her to Miss Halcombe's room. I had hardly walked halfway towards the house when Sir Percival, who had withdrawn in the opposite direction, suddenly stopped and called me back. "'Why are you leaving my service?' he asked. The question was so extraordinary after what had just passed between us that I hardly knew what to say in answer to it. "'Mind, I don't know why you're going,' he went on, "'You must give a reason for leaving me, I suppose, "'when you get another situation. "'What reason? "'The breaking up of the family. "'Is that it?' 
"'There can be no positive objection, Sir Percival, to that reason.' "'Very well. That's all I want to know. "'If people apply for your character, that's your reason, stated by yourself. "'You go in consequence of the breaking up of the family.' "'He turned away again before I could say another word "'and walked out rapidly into the grounds. "'His manner was as strange as his language. "'I acknowledge he alarmed me. "'Even the patience of Mrs. Rubell was getting exhausted "'when I joined her at the house door. "'At last,' she said, with a shrug of her lean foreign shoulders. "'She led the way into the inhabited side of the house, "'ascended the stairs,' and opened with her key the door at the end of the passage, which communicated with the old Elizabethan rooms, a door never previously used in my time at Blackwater Park. The rooms themselves I knew well, having entered them myself on various occasions from the other side of the house. Mrs. Rubell stopped at the third door along the old gallery, handed me the key of it with the key of the door of communication, "'and told me I should find Miss Halcombe in that room. "'Before I went in, I thought it desirable "'to make her understand that her attendance had ceased. "'Accordingly, I told her in plain words "'that the charge of the sick lady henceforth "'devolved entirely on myself. "'I am glad to hear it, ma'am,' said Mrs. Rubell. "'I want to go very much.' "'Do you leave today?' I asked, to make sure of her. "'Now that you have taken charge, ma'am, I leave in half an hour's time. "'Sir Percival has kindly placed at my disposition the gardener and the chaise whenever I want them. "'I shall want them in half an hour's time to go to the station. "'I am packed up in anticipation already. "'I wish you good day, ma'am.' "'She dropped a brisk curtsey and walked back along the gallery, "'humming a little tune and keeping time to it cheerfully with the nosegay in her hand.' I am sincerely thankful to say that that was the last I saw of Mrs. Rubell. When I went into the room, Miss Halcombe was asleep. I looked at her anxiously as she lay in the dismal, high, old-fashioned bed. She was certainly not in any respect altered for the worse since I had seen her last. She had not been neglected, I am bound to admit, in any way that I could perceive. The room was dreary and dusty and dark, but the window, looking on a solitary courtyard at the back of the house, was opened to let in the fresh air, and all that could be done to make the place comfortable had been done. The whole cruelty of Sir Percival's deception had fallen on poor Lady Glyde. The only ill usage which either he or Mrs. Rubell had inflicted on Miss Halcombe consisted so far as I could see, in the first offense of hiding her away. I stole back, leaving the sick lady still peacefully asleep, to give the gardener instructions about bringing the doctor. I begged the man, after he had taken Mrs. Rubell to the station, to drive round by Mr. Dawson's and leave a message in my name, asking him to call and see me. I knew he would come on my account, and I knew he would remain when he found Count Fosco had left the house. In due course of time, the gardener returned, and said that he had driven round by Mr. Dawson's residence, after leaving Mrs. Rubell at the station. The doctor sent me word that he was poorly in health himself, 
but that he would call, if possible, the next morning. Having delivered his message, the gardener was about to withdraw, but I stopped him to request that he would come back before dark and sit up that night in one of the empty bedrooms so as to be within call in case I wanted him. He understood readily enough my unwillingness to be left alone all night in the most desolate part of that desolate house, and we arranged that he should come in between eight and nine. He came punctually, and I found cause to be thankful that I had adopted the precaution of calling him in. Before midnight, Sir Percival's strange temper broke out in the most violent and most alarming manner, and if the gardener had not been on the spot to pacify him on the instant, I am afraid to think what might have happened. Almost all the afternoon and evening he had been walking about the house and grounds in an unsettled, excitable manner, having, in all probability, as I thought, taken an excessive quantity of wine at his solitary dinner. However that may be, I heard his voice calling loudly and angrily in the new wing of the house, as I was taking a turn backwards and forwards along the gallery the last thing at night. The gardener immediately ran down to him, and I closed the door of communication to keep the alarm, if possible, from reaching Miss Halcombe's ears. It was full half an hour before the gardener came back. He declared that his master was quite out of his senses, not through the excitement of drink, as I had supposed, but through a kind of panic or frenzy of mind for which it was impossible to account. He had found Sir Percival walking backwards and forwards by himself in the hall, swearing with every appearance of the most violent passion that he would not stop another minute alone in such a dungeon in his own house, and that he would take the first stage of his journey immediately in the middle of the night. The gardener, on approaching him, had been hunted out with oaths and threats to get the horse and chaise ready instantly. In a quarter of an hour, Sir Percival had joined him in the yard, had jumped into the chaise, and lashing the horse into a gallop, had driven himself away, with his face as pale as ashes in the moonlight. The gardener had heard him shouting and cursing at the lodgekeeper to get up and open the gate, had heard the wheels roll furiously on again in the still night when the gate was unlocked, and knew no more. The next day, or a day or two after, I forget which, the chaise was brought back from Knowlesbury, our nearest town, by the ostler at the old inn. Sir Percival had stopped there, and had afterwards left by the train for what destination the man could not tell. I never received any further information, either from himself or from anyone else, of Sir Percival's proceedings. And I am not even aware, at this moment, whether he is in England or out of it. He and I have not met since he drove away like an escaped criminal from his own house, and it is my fervent hope and prayer that we may never meet again. My own part of this sad family story is now drawing to an end. I have been informed that the particulars of Miss Halcombe's waking and of what passed between us when she found me sitting by her bedside are not material to the purpose which is to be answered by the present narrative. It will be sufficient for me to say in this place 
that she was not herself conscious of the means adopted to remove her from the inhabited to the uninhabited part of the house. She was in a deep sleep at the time, whether naturally or artificially produced, she could not say. In my absence at Torquay, and in the absence of all the resident servants, except Margaret Porcher, who was perpetually eating, drinking, or sleeping when she was not at work, the secret transfer of Miss Halcombe from one part of the house to the other was no doubt easily performed. Mrs. Rubell, as I discovered for myself in looking about the room, had provisions, and all other necessaries, together with the means of heating water, broth, and so on, without kindling a fire, placed at her disposal during the few days of her imprisonment with the sick lady. She had declined to answer the questions which Miss Halcombe naturally put, but had not, in other respects, treated her with unkindness or neglect. The disgrace of lending herself to a vile deception is the only disgrace with which I can conscientiously charge Mrs. Rubell. I need write no particulars, and I am relieved to know it, of the effect produced on Miss Halcombe by the news of Lady Glyde's departure, or by the far more melancholy tidings which reached us only too soon afterwards at Blackwater Park. In both cases, I prepared her mind beforehand, as gently and as carefully as possible, having the doctor's advice to guide me, in the last case only, through Mr. Dawson's being too unwell to come to the house for some days after I had sent for him. It was a sad time, a time which it afflicts me to think of or to write of now. The precious blessings of religious consolation, which I endeavored to convey, were long in reaching Miss Halcombe's heart, but I hope and believe they came home to her at last. I never left her till her strength was restored. The train which took me away from that miserable house was the train which took her away also. We parted very mournfully in London, and she went on to Mr. Fairley's house in Cumberland. I have only a few lines more to write before I close this painful statement. They are dictated by a sense of duty. In the first place, I wish to record my own personal conviction that no blame whatever in connection with the events which I have now related attaches to Count Fosco. I am informed that a dreadful suspicion has been raised and that some very serious constructions are placed upon his lordship's conduct. My persuasion of the Count's innocence remains, however, quite unshaken. If he assisted Sir Percival in sending me to Torquay, he assisted under a delusion for which, as a foreigner and a stranger, he was not to blame. If he was concerned in bringing Mrs. Rubell to Blackwater Park, it was his misfortune and not his fault when that foreign person was base enough to assist a deception planned and carried out by the master of the house. I protest, in the interests of morality, against blame being gratuitously and wantonly attached to the proceedings of the Count. In the second place, I desire to express my regret at my own inability to remember the precise day on which Lady Glyde left Blackwater Park for London. I am told that it is of the last importance to ascertain the exact date of that lamentable journey, and I have anxiously taxed my memory to recall it. The effort has been in vain. I can only remember now that it was towards the latter part of July. 
we all know the difficulty, after a lapse of time, of fixing precisely on a past date, unless it has been previously written down. That difficulty is greatly increased, in my case, by the alarming and confusing events which took place about the period of Lady Glyde's departure. I heartily wish I had made a memorandum at the time. I heartily wish my memory of the date was as vivid as my memory of that poor lady's face when it looked at me sorrowfully for the last time from the carriage window. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.